Hi, I'm Sherilyn Fenn. Hello, this is Christabel. Hello, this is Michael Horst. I'm Amy Shields. I'm Mark Frost. Hi, I'm Kimmy Robertson. Hey, Ben, this is David Duchovny. We have a beautiful, beautiful book. Twin Peaks Unwrap the Book. You can get it at bluerosemag.com. Supplies are limited. Uh, get this bad boy while it's hot. Want to say we're under the 300 mark for these books. Yes. And then yes. once they're gone, they are gone. Our thinking would be that the book would be gone by the end of the year. I mean, I don't even know if it's going to last that long. But the idea was that, hey, this is the 30th anniversary. Like, wouldn't it be cool just to have a book that could be available to really diehard Twin Peaks fans? We recommend you pick it up at bluerosemag.com. Thank you for your interest and for your enthusiasm and, and keeping Twin Peaks alive. Twin Peaks Unwrapped. I'm your host, Ben Durant, and beside me is... Brian Kazaska. Hi, Brian. Hey, Ben. How's it going? It's going great. It's going really good. <laughs> so I thought we'd get back into some more David Lynch shorts. I won't, I'm not going to laugh. I'm going to be fine. David Lynch, another David Lynch short. All right. We can do this without giggling. Yes. So I thought we'd do his short, uh, Premonitions Following an Evil Deed. Yeah, which is something that you mentioned to me last year when we were doing the shorts before the holidays. And we didn't touch upon it. We just we didn't have the time. And I was like, we could have had the time because this is not very long. Yeah, this is less than a minute long. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably one of the shortest shorts. It is the, the shortest short if there we're ever was a short. We're going to stretch this out. So when we talk really slow, it's because this is <laughs> – we don't have a lot to talk about. Yeah. So this is a – this had to do um, – the video is Lemire and Company, and it had to do with 40, I think, 41 directors coming together and using the Lemire camera. So this is – in 1995 was the 100th anniversary of the invention of the movies by the Lemire brothers, and they had their special camera, this, like, wooden box <laughs> that you use for to take uh, – Take, to make films. Wow. And all these directors had to, they had to go agree to these certain rules. And I'm gonna, uh, first I'll read you Lynch's, what Lynch thought the rules were, and I think they might be a little different. But okay. Lynch thought the rules were the film could be no longer than 52 seconds. That's true. Uh, no synchronized sound was permitted. No more than three takes. And you could not stop. And you had to have used natural light. That's pretty much... That's, I think the first three were pretty much right. The film had could not be longer than 52 seconds. Yeah. No synchronized sound was permitted, and no more than three takes. And I believe also you, 
once you started filming it, you just had to let it go. Like you had to basically use up the film. And, and yeah, well, that. how would you edit? You're not editing this. this right. Like... Well, you know, some people with, with video, you could do uh, in edit, uh-huh. edit. You know, like you could yep. stop, start. I don't think you're allowed to do that. Even though I, it's amazing how what Lynch does in this piece, but I don't think he ever stopped. Uh, stopped the film. I mean, it kept on going. Yeah, so, it's, it's pretty unique. cool. So there, there's about 40, 41 directors who did this, and some of them were like Spike Lee, who, you know, he, he had a baby at the time, and he just put the baby right there, and just you, all you saw was the baby in a stroller, and and I he recorded sound of him saying, speak, talk, come on, talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. But there was nothing. I mean, he didn't, the camera didn't move anywhere. It just was on that. And the thing is, I think, I think a hundred years before that, around that time, they did have um, a film of a baby in a in a carriage. So I think that he's he's basing this on an uh, old movie of just okay. of just that. It yeah. makes sense. And then there was another one where some Down syndrome couples were kissing, and the whole thing was just them kissing. They were kind of looking at all sweet, all sweet, and then they would kiss, and it was a, a sweet thing, 52 seconds of just yeah. them looking at each other and then uh, giving a smooch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but David Lynch is, I think, I, I mean, I, I've seen the video of the Lemire and Company, and nothing compares to what Lynch has done. I mean, It's like a mini movie? It's a mini movie, and it's quite amazing what he's done because, I mean, he's panning, and he seems like the camera's moving. Moving around and there's, there's yeah. a lot going on. And there's and sets. And there's sets. And, and like uh, on YouTube, there is, uh, it is up there. I'd say it's about a minute and three. I don't know if that sounds right. Yeah. A minute and three. Shall we play and break it down? Yeah, it sounds good. So why don't we, we, we uh, it's, it starts off with, um, it's funny because it, it is, like a, there's like a dream quality to this a little bit. Like there seems to be like a, I don't know. I don't know if it's the camera. I don't think it's the camera, but there's like a haze or like a smoky atmosphere. And it starts with um, three police officers going over a gate, and the, and there's a, a dead body, a woman, I believe. Laura Palmer. Laura. <laughs> it's not Laura Palmer. And it's Harry. It is Andy. Oh. And it is Cooper investigating the murder. There you go. Of Laura Palmer. Uh. So they they walk over towards the body, and then it just goes to black. Yeah, but it's it, there's like it almost looks like a pan, but that, again, I think there's a there's there's something that he's doing practical or that he's doing with putting not, something in front of the in camera. front of the camera. So maybe yeah. it could just be a um, a black cloth that they're just running over the camera. But it looks like it looks like a wipe that's swiping right over yep. the camera, and so he's doing that so that he can move the camera very quickly. And there's another shot with, um, we will know that it's, it ends up being the mother of the girl. Sarah she, Palmer. <laughs> Sarah Palmer. <laughs> but she's in the living room, and it's a it's a beautiful, you know, medium shot where, you know, from her, her stomach to her head. And it's a beautiful, to be that quick from you outside with the police to this this medium shot of the mom in her living room. Is, yeah, on the couch. Yeah. So it looks like she heard something. I'm guessing that, you know, we'll learn later on there there's a knock at the door. But so she she turns and she seems like she's heard something. And then again, it goes black again. Yeah. So again, <laughs> Lynch is moving the camera and setting up <laughs> another shot. So we've already had two shots where almost all the directors that I remember watching their pieces, it was one shot. It was like you had 52 seconds and you're just watching people kiss or you're watching the baby or you're watching something else. It's yeah. not that much going on. So here yeah. we are. And we have another shot. 
And this one's hard to really look at. It's it looks like two people on a on a swing of some sort outside. Maybe. Yeah, I agree. It's very grandma esque. Like you're in a garden. Right, I agree. Uh, it's right? A Does it look like yeah. a tree? If we play it a little bit more, can we see anything else out of it? It's... Okay, so, you know so... What? I do wonder if they're part of the same area that they found the, the dead body. Because it seems like these three women on a swing or outside that they probably are reacting to. Yeah. There is no voices in this, no. if I remember right. It's, it's there's just this music. music and there's sound effects. and Yeah. And there, one of them gets up and walks over. And then it, it, they do... He does a uh, white dissolve. Yeah, and white. sometimes I'm trying to figure out, yeah, you're right. It, it could be a white curtain, or sometimes I'm wondering if it's smoke, and it's, maybe it's just the sound that makes me think there's smoke. Mm. And it's funny how, I mean, Lynch always has a way with, with sound, and it's always interesting to see what he's done with this. Yeah, yeah. It's So it's a white transition. And... Oh, there's the smoke, Ben. So that's why it comes back from a white smoke. But it's quite, you know, it's quite possible that he started with a white curtain to do the transition and then use smoke with that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so this is what gets kind of strange. It seems to be aliens. Well, okay. So there's this woman naked in a tube of water. And it looks very reminiscent of Star Wars when yes, Luke is Empire in the tube. Yes, back. Yes. When Luke's in the tube. Yes. That's what it looks like. It does look like that, yes. And a man holding a pan. Uh, and to walked. me, it's funny because they look like, I thought they were aliens. Maybe they're aliens. He's got a weird looking face. And it's very sci-fi. Yes. It's very sci-fi. And so the story I thought was, are we getting a flashback that the woman that we saw that was dead was actually kidnapped by aliens? I Well, Ben, I I totally see that now. You know why? The I think that white transition was uh, done intentionally. Uh, that that maybe this is a flashback. Right. I like that. Because she's her body's found. Yes. But what if she was abducted right. and the body just appeared there? Those cops, when they're walking towards her, they almost are walking. To me, it looks like they're going to walk past her. Doesn't it? Yes. It doesn't look like they're like going to lean down. It looks like they're just walking. Yes. Like, uh, like they don't even know she's there. Right. It's like they almost, almost stumbled upon her. Yeah. 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 So it's very sci-fi. Uh, let's play some more. Oh, here we go, Ben. This is a better shot. Alien-like beings with these weird big heads. And the guy's pans on fire, and the guy, this other guy, alien, is taking a pole and hitting the tube woman. It's so elaborate. I mean, like, they made these sets. Yeah, right. Oh, yeah. my gosh. See, he, right, he, he, he hits the tank. He hits yeah. the tank. And then the camera does this quick pan, almost like you're in a Wes Anderson film, and it's going <laughs> into the next part. Yes. In another transition. Well, here's the beautiful thing that's transition. I think it goes into, like, a cloth... And the cloth catches on fire, fire. and the fire is going to basically dissolve this cloth. And we're now in, I believe, the living room of. That's of a the, cool transition. Yeah. Fire walk with me, Ben. No, it's just <laughs> no but isn't that a cool transition? It so is we got, we, we basically, in that one frame, that couple frames, we got a backstory. I, I like your theory. Aliens, this is a flashback. It's giving us what happened to this woman. And I think that woman in the tube is possibly the woman on the ground. Yes. And something bad happened to her. And now we're going back into reality 
with this very violent uh, transition with the flame. I agree with the fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's very fire walk with me. Fire walk with me. <laughs> What's really something about this too is that now we're back in the living room, but we have this wide establishing shot where you can see on the left is maybe the husband in his chair, and you have the mother on the couch, and and she's going over to the door. Cause yeah. But it's like, before we had a nice close-up, like, I mean, there's a lot they're trying to do. <laughs> to, I, and I don't know how heavy this is. This is like a wooden box, and it's a, I think there's wooden tripod, and it's, wow. it's, it's you know, it's, it's based on the 1895 film camera. That's cool. But I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, do they have like four people just trying to pick it up real quick or a couple, maybe two people trying to move the a camera. A dolly? Up. Have yeah. it on dolly, maybe. They could have it on dolly, I yeah. guess. But, I mean, you don't have, like, you don't have a zoom. I don't think they, you can't, like, just zoom in. Zoom? I don't think they had a zoom. Wow. That's what I mean. So you can't just, like, zoom in and zoom out on people. I think you had to actually physically move the... So a dolly, if they had it on tracks, they could have it forward yeah. and roll it back. Right. You're or, right. Or, like, they something movable. Yeah, yeah, I think you're like... Something where it's movable, like you're saying, because maybe they set up in a circle everything, and maybe the camera just went in a circle. Oh, I I think you're right. That makes perfect sense. You're, yeah. It, or even like, yeah. How, how else would you do it? Yeah. There's like, no time. There's no time. Have the camera in the center of the room, and you're in a big studio, and you just set up all the shots. Yeah. And you go A, B. Maybe they did practice runs and yeah. see how it all flowed. I love those type of sh- – these movies and these things where they it, they make it look like there's no cuts like there was a movie uh, uh, Alfred Hitchcock called The Rope yes. and like it was like they'd use the back or they'd use different ways to make it look like there was never any uh, edits that yeah. was one single thing I X-Files do you remember Triangle they were on a boat and they went back in time and Mulder was somebody different and Scully was somebody different but they were oh, doing, there was, it was a murder mystery I think on on a ship yeah, like a, yeah. a cruise ship or something like that but that was like Seamless as well. Like I mean, they did tricks where you 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 push into somebody's back, and when you come back out of the back, that really is a cut. But it make it so it doesn't yes. look like it. But I love those things where you Me feel too. like there's no edits with it. That Birdman did that. Yeah, that did was it? that yeah. was the newest movie the last couple of years ago. What he did was it would go in a dark alley, someone's back. Yeah, and that could have been the cut. And then like if the scene went to the next day, the camera would go outside and point at a scenery and then it would speed up nah. to mi- and then it, the camera would come down and go to the next scene. That it was kind of cool. Very cool. Yeah. So the mother's about to answer the door. She well, gets a Before we get to it, Ben, I want to mention it's interesting this scene because the guy is sitting in a chair that's very Kind of reminds me a little bit of the red room chair. He does that round, the the round um, armrests. Arm yeah, they do kind of. And doesn't the guy, the way he's sitting there, it just reminds you. And I'm not saying this, but this it, is Dale Cooper. No, it reminds me of the guy in Carrie Page's house that Aww. shot. The way he's just sitting in the chair, shot. Yes. And you, we do know that season three was a like this magnum opus of all his artwork. Yes. And people found all these callbacks to his work. It is something. And I'm just wondering if this is Carrie Page originally <laughs> in her family. <laughs> I think that's a real stretch. I know. I'm stretching it. And she goes, yep, she answers the door and the police come in. You can see a shadow. Oh, you're right. There's a shadow I- in the window. Oh, that's creepy. Like, maybe it's the police. Maybe the poli- it's the police still. We're surrounding the house. Or maybe it's the aliens. <laughs> uh, 
I it could be. I mean, the, that is neat. Uh, yeah. So the, sh- the there's a shadow oh, oh, where the window sill is. The window is. Yeah. The mother and father get up and and the police. They are must staying. be telling her bad news. And it ends there. So that's that's it. They basically have the bad news. And I think it's one of the aliens in the window. That's kind of cool. If you look I don't at, even think I noticed that before. Look at it. It's so creepy, and it's, it's, it does, the big it, head. Right, it does have a big head, and I don't see, like, a police hat on. No. Like, wow. It's just staring. And what? Now watch. It steps back. Wait a minute. Is that the woman's shadow? Ben, I think I saw it. I think it's the woman's shadow. It moves when she moves. It's her shadow. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah. It's oh, it's the mom's shadow. Aww, Here, let's watch. I thought we had something. Me too. She gets up. Watch. Yeah, yeah, no yeah. shadow. She steps. There it is. Aww. Oh, that would have been cool. If it was an uh, alien or something, but you're right. I think it, it is, is the mom's mom shadow. shadow. That's too bad. I know. That would have been I debunked. That... <laughs> <laughs> debunked in ten seconds. Oh man, Aww. we really had something going there. <laughs> you know? Do you remember? Uh, this is a little bit off topic. Do you remember um, Three Men and a Little Baby? Yes. There Do was a whole. What was that? What was the so content? when I was younger? Yeah, yeah. We saw the film, and there was a shadow in the back of the scene when they're in the uh, apartment. It, it was a shadow of a little boy. Um, there was rumors when we were kids. I don't know if you heard the rumors. I do hear something about this. Uh, a child had died there. Someone uh, jumped out, and this was the sh- this was the ghost. They got it on film, wow. and this is what it. Oh man! Well, come to find out. That scene was filmed in a studio. wasn't a real apartment. No, of course not. And it was actually the cutout for the gun holster. And some, the, one of the prop people had put it in the window, forgot about it, and it was just part of the shot. But as a child, I remember watching it in VHS, rewinding, going, "Oh my god!" Because I bought into <laughs> it, you know. And I was, it really scared me. I was like, "That's a ghost." In the news series. There's Big Ed, and he's looking at the window, and he sees his reflection, but the reflection is not the same as... I know. (laughs) It moves. (laughs) That's the ghost of Big Ed. (laughs) That is his his, uh, alternate version of him from another... Parallel universe. universe. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Oh, that's still creepy. I still... We got to find out if uh, Christian saw that in... uh, on the big screen. Yes, that's right. We still got to talk to Christian about Christian, that. Christian, if you're listening, send us a <laughs> message because I'll forget. Um, but yeah, uh, crazy stuff. Uh, it's a great little short. But and I think it's just incredible what he decided to do with it. So many of these directors just put their camera one place and, you know, had a, did, did something very simple. Say, hey, we've only got 52 seconds. What am I going to do in that time? I'll have a baby looking at the camera. He or, made a featured film. He really did. He did a mini, <laughs> yeah. He told, told a whole story in 52 seconds. He did an X-Files episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, it was the opening of the X-Files. Like, yes, <laughs> yes. You should put the X-Files music above that. Oh, man, that'd be great. Right, the next thing you see is Scully Mulder and say, oh, we got to go solve this case. Yeah, Scully, yeah, this would be the opening act to an X-Files episode. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I love it. I love it, Ben. I know this was. there's not a lot we had to talk about with this, but I still thought it was interesting and I still wanted to share this because I think it's it, Lynch is so unique from so many other directors in that he goes off and does his own thing and he really, I mean, I'm thinking about the set. There's somebody, these other directors, they didn't really have much sets either. And like here he, he put a whole elaborate thing with this alien, you know, world. I don't even know where they are. I'm guessing that I'm thinking they're in the UFO or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is very Star Wars. It reminds yes. me of Star, oh, sci-fi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's really cool. Cut it! 
Good. Way to go! Good job, guys. Just beautiful. Everybody was great. And now, John Bernardi. I'm John Bernardi with 25 Years Later site, and this is from my Electricity Nexus column. It's titled, So the Palmers Are All Monsters Now. Did the show's traumatic center get a makeover in the final dossier? The Palmers and the uncomfortable nature of their trauma are at the center of Twin Peaks, but thanks to Tamara Preston's interpretation in the final dossier, the reality of the Palmers' trauma has possibly been redefined into the product of the demons Judy and Beelzebub finding each other and mating. Is Twin Peaks still the same kind of story at its heart? I do realize there are multiple ways, as there are with anything Twin Peaks, to read the Judy and Bob situation, but today's column is working under the assumption it is now supposed to be true. Being honest, I'm really struggling with this, and I really need to write this column so I can explore why this path was suggested to be part of the greater Twin Peaks mythology in the first place. I think the fundamental structure of Laura's dynamics with her family has changed, and therefore herself and her experiences are also changed. I can't comprehend why it was done. Suddenly it seems less about Laura being an incest victim and more about being the offspring of monsters. Laura being a victim of incest happens to be an effect of that, but is no longer the primary issue. It seems like Laura is now being framed in a larger situation, and I don't know how incest survivors should feel about that, much less anyone who ever needed Laura to be a regular girl dealing with extraordinary circumstances. Because she's not just a regular girl anymore. She's born from the demons, and firemen are imbuing her with golden life force. All the people Cheryl Lee said she made fire walk with me for, the victims of incest and similar abuses, how do they feel about the cosmicifying of their fairly real-world level struggles. Hell, how does Cheryl Lee read this? I can be comfortable enough with one demonic character being part of the equation of Laura's parentage because that means there's a human being, Sarah, who was hoodwinked. There would be a level of secrecy involved that can keep Laura and her mother based in humanity her whole life. But if Sarah, too, has lost her humanity along the way, then there's now a level of destiny to it for Laura. A ridiculousness. A level of demons in love that is just plain bizarre an angle to introduce into the story based on trauma. With this new take, both her parents know. Laura is a monster by birth. It becomes something of an inheritance for Laura. She has inhumanity in her. Her father knows this, her mother knows this, Laura may not, but instead of, there is a monster in this house, the story becomes, you are the offspring of monsters. Her entire nature becomes rooted in demon, and she has to somehow deny her biology. Instead of, her life has been invaded by trauma, it becomes, her biology is literally monster. Rather than a rogue agent who could just as easily be inhabited by monsters as she could grow into a normal woman, she near indisputably is the monster. And she has to realize it and overcome it, but how is she supposed to overcome what she literally is made from? It changes the story entirely, and it's not a duality as much as it is about denying yourself to become good, because there's something literally and fundamentally wrong with you in the first place. The Palmer family's trauma at the heart of Twin Peaks went like this. A father was raping his daughter. The daughter drowned her life in drugs and things that kept her too busy to absorb what was happening. A mother was incapable of interacting with it, much less able to stop it, and it was complicated by the fact a demon was possessing the father and encouraging him to cater to his worst natures and attractions. But the daughter was mostly human because her father was, you know, let's say 50% human, and her mother was 100% human. She was raised as a human being. 
If, as the final dossier heavily suggests, Sarah Palmer was inhabited by a form of demon herself since before she met Leland, that makes things much more complicated because then Laura was raised by two people who had demons within them. She is made from 50% monster, and she was raised by these monsters as well. Nature as well as nurture are severely compromised, and it does not bode well for Laura's humanity. I am not a fan of this potential retcon. It doesn't exactly hamper Laura's agency, but it sure doesn't help it, and I've been protective of Laura's agency since Part 8 set her up as a potential Chosen One character. This choice to involve Sumerian god demons in the mythology seems more in the Chosen One lane than not, and it leaves me massively uncomfortable. It's not a deal-breaker, but I'm not a fan of the choice by Lynch and Frost to make this a possibility. It got me making Bob and Judy comics just to try to force more humanity into this. I'm trying to understand, but it's really difficult. How is a regular human girl supposed to approach dealing with her situation if she potentially needs cosmic help from a fireman to be able to get the bravery to confront her abuser? In Fire Walk With Me, Laura found the bravery inside herself. In Season 3, it appears what she finds in herself is a demon center and help only from a golden globe that didn't originally come from her. And the whole season's mantra is shovel yourself out of the shit, so you know this can't go well. It's all awkward, but is this like everything else in season three and secret history and final dossier a purposeful misdirection? Does this have to do with an unreliable narrator even on this most central issue? Is anything safe from misdirection? Is the point to undercut the central trauma and misdirect us away from it? It's put right out there. Tamara Preston specifically talks about looking away after she herself just told us to look at Sumerian god demons as the actual parents of Laura Palmer. Was her demon explanation a moment of looking away from the true issue? Everything else in the book is undercut. Annie being mired in a backstory rife with season two mundanity, masking the fact she's a tulpa or an otherwise Cooper Dougie-like entity? So there's a consistency to base this in. The Diane podcast mentioned how Lynch and Frost are actually telling a simple story in season three, but they put all these plot threads in play and make all these wacky eye-catching characters so that we're distracted from the actually straightforward plot. I think this take is spot on, and the trauma associated with the Palmer family is the important thing being misdirected away from in the final dossier. Maybe this book, and less explicitly, the ending of season three as well, is giving us the choice to forget the central trauma. We too can take this opportunity to look away. We can say, oh, it's about that kind of monsters. We can get some rest. Close our eyes, dream a little easier, and we get a chance to ignore the real monsters in play. Tamara mentions the harm of looking away in the conclusion of the final dossier. Is the evil in us real? Is it an intrinsic part of us, a force outside us, or nothing more than a reflection of the void? How do we hold both fear and wonder in the mind at once? Does staring into the darkness offer up answers or resolutions? Later on, she writes, The only answer I can console myself with is this. What if the truth lies just beyond the limits of our fear, and the only way to reach it is to never look away? What if that's why we can never quit trying to overcome it? in every moment we're alive. When she writes, how easy it is to quit, give up, lower our eyes. Look what happens to anyone here who lost the fight. I can't help but think she's talking about Sarah. The look away stuff from Tamara might be the official metaphor of the book and possibly season three. I've heard it mentioned on multiple podcasts that, specifically in reference to the woodsman's poem, the white of the eyes are revealed when you look away. 
this guess, as far as I'm concerned, has been proven absolutely correct. Look away from the simple human horrors in Twin Peaks. Make it about Sumerian demons. Make it about anything else other than two parents actively making it impossible for their child to be safe in their own home. Maybe that's how monsters really are made. To go along with Tamara's Sumerian God Demons theory, I'll do some looking away and throw in a few other reasonable possibilities for a moment. As I'm proposing in my previous column the Twin Peaks is a hybrid lodge reality space, it's possible Judy Sarah is a lodge version of Sarah associated with part of Laura's lodge cycle loop as Laura digs herself out of her shit. It's also possible Judy Sarah is the only thing left of Sarah and she's literally haunting regular reality's Twin Peaks, specifically the Palmer house, while the Tremonts are currently the family living in it. The sound in the kitchen when Hawk was talking to Sarah in the doorway could have been Alice Tremont, though it could have also been the real Sarah making a drink while Judy Sarah kept Hawk from entering. There are so many permutations worth considering. But the one that I keep coming back to is the first one. Maybe Sarah is a monster. Used to be, Bob was either a metaphor or he was real after all. It didn't matter which. The darkness was always real and Laura and Sarah were too. Maybe in the final dossier, it's just Bob and Judy as metaphors, same as it ever was with more demons. Maybe the monster in Sarah is Lynch and Frost's way of implicating Sarah, finally. Acknowledging Sarah's guilt after years of leaving her off to the side of the story. Maybe she became a monster after living with her guilt for 25 years. Maybe she's opened herself to an evil spirit and a time quaked her into an overwritten state she must have retroactively always been in. Because, after all, how could a mother let something like that happen to her own daughter? She must have been a monster the whole time. Sarah showed the whites of her eyes to the trauma under her own roof just like in the 1956 scenes of Part 8 when she let in a monster and things got worse. This is the exact inverse effect of a golden shovel. Sarah is unable to forgive herself and is trapped in a feedback loop of PTSD. According to Season 3 patterns, this means she's doomed to remain looped in a cycle, stuck in place as trauma pummels her as she tries to turn away. This is how monsters are really made. You look away. You close your eyes. You fall asleep. And it becomes a part of you while you're too busy dreaming to realize where you physically are. And it becomes so much a part of you that you must have always been this way. You can't remember a time in your life when you weren't a monster. So you must have always been one. It's the only explanation you can come up with to tell yourself. It's the only way you could let something like this happen to your daughter and by your own husband, no less. There's no other way this could have happened, right? You must have allowed it. You must be the monster. You must be complicit. If you're Sarah, you may feel there's no other way to read this. There's no avenue you can take to forgive yourself. Because while you look away from what was happening, Laura's trauma became so much a part of you that all you can hear are screams. And there's nothing left of yourself. Nothing left to hold on to, just more things to hide from. The pain around you climbed inside you one night and it kept getting worse and worse and it grew in you so long over so much time that you may as well be the thing the monster is wearing. You are hollow inside and there's no light left. You haven't seen light near your life since your daughter died. Since then, the only thing that can find anything to smile about is the monster. So you let it. I think the seasons one and two, Sarah, is the one who we thought she was. A human mother who has one human child and one compromised human demon father undermining Laura's upbringing from a place of secrecy. 
And this secrecy, this gaslighting of Sarah, has proven the perfect fertilizer for pain and suffering. Sarah became hollow, filled with darkness, as any mother of a murdered child would likely feel, from her core outward. And being Twin Peaks, this empty woman has become an empty chrysalis, ready to hold any demons inside that would feast on void, until it breaks through the barrier and seeds the world with an explosion of her grief. So to answer the earlier question, I don't think the fundamental trauma at the heart of Twin Peaks has changed. I think what's happened is the trauma at its heart has retroactively changed Twin Peaks itself, both backwards and forwards through time. The monster inside Sarah, after it moved in, did some redecorating to the entire length of Sarah's life. And oh boy, is it a lot darker now. If you like this one, check out this and my other articles at 25yearslatersite.com. But it was Laura Palmer's life, and that wasn't a pleasant life, um, a lot of it. For me, it was wonderful because I... I felt like I got the opportunity to come full circle with her. It's very strange to play a dead person and to never really get to experience her life force. And I, I creatively longed for that. You know, during this series, I got to play Maddie, the, the cousin, but um, Laura had sort of haunted me. What's wrong with us? I mean, we have everything. Everything but everything. Laura. Laura. You always hurt the ones you love. You mean the ones you pity? Say whatever you want. I know you love me. Thank you, 25 Years Later, and thank you to John Bernardi for sending in that uh, piece. Uh, we're still doing stuff with 25 Years Later. I know it's not as weekly as it has been, but we have JC now part of the show once a month. And when we have time to fit a segment in, we're doing our best. We're talking with 25 Years Later about having them on the show, different people, and we want to talk about their articles. I think there's some really interesting theories out there I'd love to talk more about. And just make, you know, just coordinating that but in the future i think we're, we're planning on having them on the show yeah. to talk about their work and they're really going crazy i mean they're going to cult tv I'm, i yeah. love it i yeah, love yeah. it oh yeah if you're like okay i've i'm done with twin peaks they're doing everything i think northern exposure the x-files uh the alienists uh, just really cool stuff yeah and they're always asking for suggestions too that's awesome so let them know what you want to hear or read i should say <laughs> and then uh, listen here and you can listen here did david lynch do any more shorts that we'll be doing later on or do you think this is it for the shorts i think we still have a few stuff wow. left. i thought we had something i thought we there was maybe one more or two more well the thing Keep, is do we want to get into commercials i mean like there's so i much think in the future we should we should do a whole the reason I say we should do the commercials, because the PlayStation 2 ad is literally like this. <laughs> it's like an egg of Twin Peaks. Yes. It is like the Red Room. And it's like very Twin Peaks. But there's one ad, I think it's for a perfume, that's Blue Rose. Ah. Yes. I remember back in the day I watched someone put them on YouTube all together. It's about 30 minutes. 
and the last one it was like two minutes. It was long. Wow. It was a couple minutes long, and it's about the Blue Rose. And I thought that was really cool. Yeah. So I think we should do his commercials. And we still have for a short uh, the amputee with Catherine Coulson. Very exciting. Yeah, it's actually one of the things I wish we had, when we had talked to Catherine Coulson. I wish we had talked about that because that's such a bizarre thing. I mean, she has no legs and her her little piece. I mean, yeah. So I think at some point we have to do that. Yes. So we got more coming, more David Lynch shorts. And we, I, at some point we should talk about, he, he's done cartoons. David Lynch has been in cart, uh, several cartoons. That, you know, it would be fun to talk about that. And have David Lynch on talking about it, too. Yes. <laughs> you know, the, if we ever talk to David Lynch, I don't even know how how we would have to come up with the questions, because there's so much we could talk to him uh, about. <laughs> all I want to know is, how did you land the role in Cleveland show? What made you, who, who approached you? Did you want to do it? Yes. How cool is that? We get David Lynch on reruns of the Cleveland show. Cleveland, six months before the federal government relocated me to Stoolbend, my dying sister turned to me and said, Gus, will you promise me one thing? And I said, anything, Courtney. You did, after all, raise me after dad killed mom and then himself. She said, Gus, promise me that Cheryl will attend Drake University. Your sister's name was Courtney? And if anyone gets in the way, cut off their nose and lips. Okay. And you won't be welcome back at my bar. It's awesome. So if you have an idea or a suggestion for a show, or maybe something that it's a hidden gem that David Lynch has done and you know we haven't mentioned it and we might not know about it, you can give us an email at TwinPeaksUnwrapped at gmail.com. Give us that five-star rating. Give it a nice little review in the old iTunes. Uh, it really helps. It really helps oh, us it out a lot. I mean, it means yeah, yeah. so much to us. And iTunes is working. And it's working. It yes. Great. And you know, you can always call us right now at 866-8-UNWRAP. And you could always leave us a message there. And I want to mention, you know, thank you to the people who uh, leave messages on YouTube. I mean, they're awesome that, you know, yeah. that's another way that people can listen to us is through YouTube. Yep. And we're on Google Play. We're on, uh, still waiting to hear back from Spotify one day. And at uh, our Podbean page, our homepage. And thank you to all the people that follow us on Podbean. I mean, it seems like daily I'm seeing people who are always following us there. We're going to hit my, remember my thing? I was like, oh, we're going to hit a 1,000. Yes. We're getting close. On Podbean? Yeah. Wow. We're getting close. We're getting close. It's so funny. Like, I didn't, didn't even know about Podbean until we did this podcast. So, like, I mean, I know it's a place to get check out podcasts, but I, you know. Yeah. I'm just amazed that people follow. I'm thinking <laughs> iTunes. I'm thinking there's so many other ways to check out podcasts. I but. feel like everything has its own community. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So I think there, Podbean is a cool place for looking for a show or hosting your own show. Nice. Got to promote the uh, the people who support us, I guess. Yes. <laughs> and how is Facebook going? Facebook's awesome. Uh, we're getting lots of feedback from everything lots of likes um uh, the community's still going good i'm always in the uh, twin peaks different pages posting our stuff we get a lot of love christian who is uh an admin in a lot of these pages he's been he's been really great uh supporting us on facebook too awesome so thank cool. you and we're enjoying twitter twitter's always great i love the community there always a lot of good people out there thank you to people yeah yeah we have a lot of great conversations on twitter all, all, all and the how time. is the community i mean it's so strange it's still kind of a strange thing with with the show done 
and like we have nothing on the horizon for Twin Peaks, and it's like I do feel like some of the people have moved on, and it's, mm. that's a little strange too. That like you know there was so much energy and so much excitement about the show when it was on, and then like it kind of like I don't know. It's just... we live in strange times, Ben. Yeah, I mean, like I don't I don't know if we we can touch upon this, but I I kind of feel like we're in the the age of binging and the age of um. We we of Aquarius. Wa- <laughs> Age of Aquarius. We binge. Now we didn't binge Twin Peaks. We watched it over the summer, but now everybody's like, okay. That's over. On to the next thing. Then you have a group of us who are still talking about it, and yes. still I'm rewatching season two. I'm almost done with that. I'll start watching season three, and I take my time and I'll watch different shows. But there are a majority of people who are not like that. And who are like, I just watched the whole thing of whatever show is popular this weekend. And they're done. And they're done. How was it? It was good. Next week. They're watching something else. I'm like two years behind. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm still catching up. And it's interesting because uh, the climate for TV is so fickle and it's so immediate and it's so quick that sometimes you do, I do enjoy when a show is making you watch it week to week. Uh X-Files being that yeah. show right now for us, uh, for me, and I know for you, right. and there's a group of us who watch X-Files week to week, and we love it. But when that's over, yes. I don't watch any, I don't, there's no show I watch week to week I look forward to, really. Yep. I watch it on my DVR eventually, but I, I don't, well, I gotta watch it this week, you know? And it's weird. It is. It is weird. We're being deprogrammed, and we're being programmed to step into this Netflix binge mentality. Yeah. Sometimes I like it, sometimes I don't. I don't know. It's a love-hate relationship. And I was thinking it's interesting about you is that you you stream everything now, right? You stream TV. Like, you are totally cut from cable. I don't have cable. And for me, I, I've had a DVR TiVo for almost 15 years or wow. so. Yeah, 14 and a half years or yeah. so. And, like, I love that. I love being able to skip or rewind, fast forward. And, yeah. I, I, and I can't see myself getting away from that. But at the same time, I, it's different from a lot of people who who just watch TV and it's there when they turn it on. For yeah. me, it's still yeah. kind of – it's still a – it's still not a – it's still – I'm trying to think of the word I'm using for it. It's still active in some ways or it's still – I still have control over my TV time. You still you have, do. I do, but you have it a whole different way where you have to then remember that, oh, there's a show out there and I have to go. How do you How do you keep track of stuff? I think I have the same mentality with uh, owning a DVR and being obsessed with my DVR, yeah. like a TiVo, but nothing has changed. Everything's on demand, so it doesn't matter. Hulu is my my main thing. I Hulu, X-Files is on Hulu. Uh, all the sh- Saturday Night Live is on Hulu. All the shows I watch is on Hulu. So you do like wish lists, you you just have them recommended lo- and then they'll just be there for you when you you're hit ready. a button that says yeah. add to my shows. Right. And I have a list of shows and like all the shows I watch are on Hulu. So after they air at three AM the next day, they're on there. So I watch X Files the next day. Uh Netflix I use barely. I use it for their original programming mostly. Right. Like I think the last thing I watched on Netflix was Mine Hunters, which I loved. Yes. And and Stranger Things. I have PlayStation View. PlayStation View is streaming TV, so I can get my local channels, and I have TBS, AMC, uh, USA, uh, Sci-Fi Network. I have all the channels, yeah. and they stream them, and they all come in beautiful. Nice. And that has a DVR function, so uh, a show I like, 
I hit add to my shows like a DVR right. and it records it. I can record live, like I can record award shows. I can record anything. It has a uh, DVR that lasts for 30 days. Ah. Got to watch it in 30 days. It will expire. They don't have unlimited storage. But I have Hulu, which keeps everything. Yeah. Unle- every, unless Hulu is like, we lost our expire. contract yeah, right. with Fox, which they're not because Fox owns a share. I, I have nothing to worry about. So Hulu is my main PlayStation View. I watch for live events and I watch like I watch the morning news on Hulu. I watch I mean uh, PlayStation View. So that's cool. It's it's the yeah. same. It, it, literally a DVR is like an on-demand feature. Like I watch everything on Hulu. I don't have to fast forward. Well, here's the thing: is that I still, you know so I have the Blu-ray, but I still have all of uh, uh, Twin Peaks on my TiVo. Like I can't imagine ever deleting it because I like that idea. It's like. It's a physical thing, that uh, this physical box that I can just hit <laughs> hit play and start watching them again, even though I could just put it... Uh, I own Blu-ray. the Blu-rays, and I watched... I'm, right now, I'm re-watching Twin Peaks using Hulu. Hulu's got the entire series. Nice. And so does Netflix. Yes. And I own it. So if if Hulu ever said, we're, we're not going to be hosting this, I still have physical medium. Right. So it doesn't bother me that much. Yeah, and it's yeah. so funny that I mean I, I'm kind of like in between because we we were talking before we even started that it was like I wanted I would love to have everything in a digital format because these discs sometimes get scratched up and like I was like oh but I, I want all these extras and and yeah, the digital format is not doing extras really that much like I would love to have all of Twin Peaks the Blu-ray in a digital format but I want to have the six and a half hours of extras and stuff that's what you miss out because I know uh, Twin Peaks season three is on digital now. But it, I don't think it comes with the features. Right. So I, it doesn't. So I really feel like physical stuff, like I was saying to you, I feel like buying a box set of something is for the collector in us. Like I bought the box set of X Files and, um, and which Twin I still Peaks. gotta buy. I want to buy it because it's Blu-ray, right? Yeah. One of the best collections I own is the box set of Lost. Yeah, it's they the really, island. They did a great job with that. And you have to find a secret thing in there. Yes. There's a secret thing that. You have to go on YouTube and watch some video to figure oh, it out. It's like crazy complicated. Right. I cheated because I went on YouTube and watched it. I think I might do the same thing. I, I could. There's no way. I'm like, how would you figure that out? But that's for the collector in us. And I, I think for the people who are just like, I enjoy this, but I enjoy it not enough to care about extras. Right. Like a movie. It's $8 digitally. I'll buy it for eight bucks. Right. But there's the age-old question. What's going to happen when... Um, that service goes away. Yes. Do you just lose that money? Do you lose those movies? Or you can buy it, right? You can buy it through iTunes or Amazon or something yeah, like that too. I, but Yeah. So I'm kind of in the middle between digital. Like I buy movies that I could care less about extras and if they're wicked cheap on like – a, a service I go on a lot, I'll buy it Yeah. if I really want it. Well, you know what's funny too is like, you know, I have kids, so it's hard sometimes to get out of the house. So a lot of times if like if it comes out and it's not available yet to rent, I'll still just buy it because like, boy, if my wife and I went to a, a movie in the theater, it's gonna cost us more money than fifteen dollars to buy. So yeah. I, I do a lot of times just buy it. <laughs> yeah, I mean so you, then you buy it digitally. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, I don't it's so funny. I'm like I'm in that middle place too. Like there's a part of me that loves the physical stuff for the extras, but yeah. if I'm going to watch a regular movie or something like that, I probably will just I'll just stream it. Yeah, just stream it. And then the cool thing is a lot of movies now I've actually been saving the cards that come with it cuz you can 
a lot of them allow you to download the have a digital version of that movie on a service you like. Yeah, that's like really nice. iTunes or Vulu or yeah, I don't remember the other Voodoo, ones. yeah, or whatever. That's a great idea because what if one day I lost all all this physical stuff, right? By whatever reason, I would could te- technically still have digital versions of it all. Yeah. So I I think they know the physical medium is kind of going away. Uh, and like uh, before the show, I was saying uh, Best Buy announced this year that they are going to phase out their CD section. Isn't that crazy? That's a sign of the times. Isn't that something? In some ways, it's hard to believe that it's taken this long because MP3s are so popular. It's so Streaming easy. Streaming services. Right. Street, yeah, I mean, I, Apple Music. I, I mean, use app. I'm part of the problem. I use yes. Apple Music for everything. Every $10 and I get almost all the music I want? Yeah, like, every Friday I go on, add, 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 add. I listen to it. If I don't like it, I didn't lose. What did I lose? 10 minutes of my time? Um, if there's a band I really like, I will definitely buy their... I've been buying more vinyl. I'll buy the album on vinyl or a CD version, and then the CD version sits on the shelf, collects dust, and that's it. Yep. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know. CDs are going away. It makes sense. Yes. A lot of kids don't even care about CDs. I do wonder, is is Blu-ray popular? I mean, are we getting to the point where DVDs are going to go away, or are DVDs still really big? To- DVD was big. Yes. Blu-ray was kind of in the middle. 4K Ultra uh, HD is trying to get that 4K, because I've been buying those. Oh, you bet 4K? Yeah. Oh, I, wow. You have a 4K player? The Xbox S is a 4K oh, player. The oh, S. the S. I upgraded my... <laughs> I got to get a new I gotta get a new PlayStation here now. Um, I bought a couple of those. Yeah. To watch a while ago, they were talking com- about coming out with, uh, I think, Violet Ray. It was like a they purple... Had, yeah. I don't know if they ever came out, but it was supposed to be a bigger storage, and that was going to be the next big thing. But if Blu-rays didn't take off, and 4K, we're right now with 4K, who knows? I think 4K is has legs because yeah. all the systems are 4k which and tvs now you go to costco or anywhere I they're 4K, all 4k yeah. tvs it's funny i have a 4k tv but i have no, no no player like i mean i just do streaming i mean the, yeah. youtube Netflix, does 4k netflix. netflix does 4k yeah. yeah and i i i went up on my netflix to do 4k it's a couple bucks extra but man oh man the picture's unbelievable but yeah i don't know i don't know how 4k 4k seems to be catching on it's got to catch on a lot faster because we want our twin peaks 4k version i know i know (laughs) you know it's also hard though for 4k to catch on though everybody not that long ago upgraded their tube tvs to hd tvs yeah and then if you're saying to people well your hd is not good enough but it is because no network there's no network really broadcasting and and 4K other than Netflix. Right. And if you want to consider that a net network, it kind of is. That's the biggest We're a few one. years away still, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. We'll see what 4K takes us. It would be great to see a 4K Twin Peaks Season 3. Right. Uh, we we kind of did. Yeah. You and yeah. I did. Yeah, we, we kind of did. New York. <laughs> we were, it was beautiful. It was, it was such a, yeah. It, it was, was a sick. great picture. Yeah. Um, And they'll, they'll give us those deleted scenes that we, that. Um, <laughs> I do feel like there's some deleted scenes. I they're do. hiding from us. Yes. <laughs> um, the missing pieces of season three you know these missing pieces uh we dug these up we found them on the hard drive ah. we combed through them <laughs> with that said ben i don't know where we left off we went on a tangent there i think we covered everything we covered, we covered twitter it? we covered facebook we covered it all we did 
So we'll see you next week. See you next week. Now, if you're playing the movie on a telephone, you will never in a trillion years experience the film. You'll think you have experienced it, but you'll be <clears throat> cheated. It's a, such a sadness that you think you've seen a film on your fucking telephone. Get real.